0: All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Uh, this week, we are going to do uh, Kevin Costner's 1990 epic, uh, I, guess it's, I guess you could kind of call it a western of sorts.
1: Yeah, it's a western.
0: Uh, Dances with Wolves. Peter, welcome.
1: Welcome. <coughs> uh, the Postman was also an epic.
0: It was. It all, and, and I guess in its own weird way, a western, too.
1: Not quite as successful.
0: no costner wanted another big epic um so uh obviously a big and important american film um i actually never saw this when it was in the theaters did you
1: i think i did either that or i don't remember that or on like videotape from blockbuster i (laughs) I was uh i was living in minnesota at the time and I saw, like, it was on TV,
0: and I watched, like, five minutes of it in the middle, and I was like, what is this? And somehow I just missed it when it was in the theaters, and I, I knew it was, it was so good, I couldn't just pick it up in the middle, so I just stopped watching and went out, and I think I bought it right away. So I think I actually bought it, essentially having only seen five or ten minutes of it.
1: Right, but, I was, you know, I haven't seen it in forever, and, and this time I watched the director's cut, and it, that's what I've been doing for the last week. I started it actually I think 5 days ago and I just finished.
0: Right you only stopped to eat and go to the bathroom. I didn't leave the house or
1: anything. I just
0: Yeah the 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 um the 116 hour cut is really really gets to the heart of the matter. Right. Uh I was thinking too that we should do um the entire podcast in Lakota this
1: week. Yeah that's that's good. Well actually <laughs> Google Translate can can trans, I'm just going to translate the entire <laughs> podcast. I'm going to run it through Akiyo-i. Google Translate.
0: <laughs> you know, I actually, um, I didn't ever tell you this. That when we uh, lived in the Upper Midwest, I actually got a Lakota name, and my actual Lakota name uh, translates as "watched too much Star Trek."
1: <laughs> <laughs> Man, they're pretty sharp, those Lakota. <laughs>
0: hey they really they, they 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 sussed me out pretty good
1: yeah was that like that must have been the wise man like the you know the medicine ten bears man. 10 yeah. bears 10 bears gave me personally pan <laughs> picked that name for you he only knew you for three minutes and he still came up with that <laughs> that was pretty good
0: um how are you going to summarize this movie in one paragraph
1: this movie's way easier to summarize All right. even though it's it's incredibly long considering the amount of plot twists that happen because there's not that much plot really i mean it's basically a civil war uh soldier lieutenant uh, played by kevin costner
0: now your paragraph is up
1: <laughs> he gets uh, gets wounded during the civil war Um, tries to kill himself unsuccessfully, ends up being a hero and asked to go, you know, being able to be posted wherever he wants and he requests to go to the frontier for sort of not entirely certain reasons. He goes out to the frontier to this post. There's no one there. No one knows he's there in the end. He waits around, rebuilds the post, and finally starts having contact with the Sioux tribe that's nearby. And, um... Eventually, he, keeps, he starts going out there and sort of becomes a member of the tribe gradually over months. Um, and uh, in the end, he goes back to, to camp to run an errand to get his journal he's been writing in. And then the army has, has showed up at that point. And he's treated, he's wearing, you know, mostly or half sort of Indian garb um he's gone engine quote in some ways and they basically attack him as an enemy and imprison him Uh, and he gets freed by his tribe again and goes back to them in the end um and uh, in the end he leaves the tribe for their safety because he thinks that the army's gonna keep gonna look for him right um good that's pretty that's, that's about as quick as you could
0: uh summarize this movie yeah um i actually like this movie quite a lot i think it's i mean I, I think it's hard to argue that this is costner's high watermark in every way you know mm. i mean he costner's done a lot of movies over the years but i think this is the one that they will remember him for not the
1: bodyguard <laughs> i think he was he was uh pretty good in bull durham he's pretty as an actor. Yeah,
0: right but i mean this is this was best picture
1: well, this is his movie, you know, whereas Bill Dermy was doing an acting job, and he did a fine job in that. But um, this movie, you know, he made this this picture. It's and, you know, he,
0: he was actually involved in the whole idea, because when he knew Michael Blake, who wrote the novel, and he encouraged Blake to turn his idea into the novel, and then when the novel came out, Costner bought the rights to it uh, and turned it into a movie. So there wouldn't have even been a... Dances with Wolves book had Costner not encouraged Blake to write it. Did you know, by the way, that there's a sequel? No. There's a sequel. It's It was just made into a book. Uh, it's called uh, The Holy Road. I haven't read it, but uh, Michael oh. Blake wrote it. I think Michael Blake actually passed away. The book. Yeah, no, there's, not yeah, a, sequel no, there's a sequel to the book. And in the book, I read the book many years ago. I was actually looking for the book before the podcast, but I couldn't find it. But in the book, I believe they are Comanche. But they made them Lakota in the movie because they filmed it in Western South Dakota.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, so we start off in the Civil War, right? And it gets into it pretty quick. I mean, the you know the opening scene—he's already wounded,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? The, you know, the opening scene is the surgeons are preparing to cut off his leg, the sawbones, mm-hmm. so to speak, um, and and he essentially tries to commit suicide and ends up inspiring his civil war colleagues and i guess he's supposed to be a northerner
1: and he's he's also kind of he's a little on the unbalanced side in the beginning of the movie you know he's he's not in his right mind and and the movie is sort of a i mean he ends up sort of being redeemed you know once he moves in with this with the sioux well he's supposed to be a little lost i think too like like he has a terrible
0: experience in the war um and he has no one to to ground him you know like he he rides off to the frontier after he heals up from his wounds essentially alone like it is never stated but it's just understood he has no no spouse or children like you know he's in uh you know uh, he's i guess he's supposed to be in his 30s it looks like and he's an officer but you know he has no real ties to anyone
1: and he's why he picks the frontier and runs out there is sort of unclear he just you know it's it's the run it's the run away from civilization syndrome kind of you know like guys who like people who end up in florida or alaska you know <laughs> Wait, florida <laughs> believe me it's kind of not
0: civilization well i mean and again you know he gives his brief explanation which is really all you need you know i want to see the frontier before it's gone i mean it's funny because in my mind the civil war stuff was much longer i'm watching it this time it's only about 10 to 12 minutes and then very very quickly you know he gets his orders and then he's on the on the road with Timmins out to the out to Fort Sedgwick
1: right and the the commander that sends him out to Fort Sedgwick which is sort of a misnomer because it's basically a deserted lean-to um <laughs> right is uh, that's Maury Chaykin, himself. I yeah, think Maury, Maury Chaykin shoots himself immediately after giving him the orders. He's basically like on wit, wit's end, right? When he shows up and he's you know drinking heavily and extremely depressed and out of his mind.
0: Yeah, you don't know
1: like is he psychotic? He's asking, is he psychotic? Is he drunk? Is he both? He's drunk and, and like at wit's end, it's sort of clear. And the guy like shoots himself immediately, so basically when he goes out there and he rides out with Timmons, the Timmons. trapper or the trader or whatever, um, then Timmons drops him off there with a whole bunch of provisions for a, for a, for a, a, for a garrison. Right. Right. And, and Maury Chakin's
0: right, suicide is half of, half of the erasure of John Dunbar, because the implication is, you know, if the officer who sent him out and the guy who took him are both dead,
1: Right. Nobody he doesn't knows. Exist.
0: And his orders were a scribble on a piece of paper that was gibberish.
1: Right. He doesn't exist. No one knows he's there, out there. So nobody's coming. But he's waiting for the rest of the regiment or garrison or whatever it is. The regiment, whatever. He's waiting for him to show up, and they don't come. So he's fixing <laughs> the place up for weeks.
0: And it, and in the in the regular version, you don't see the scenes of the soldiers hiding in the cave uh, with the, with the last officer, Hmm. you know, I'm pretty, I mean, I think the regular versions over, I think it's about two and a half hours. The long version has some new scenes, but a lot of the scenes are just extended. There's not a lot of like de novo scenes in the, the, the four hour version as opposed to the three hour version. But that scene where you see the soldiers at the fort, basically abandoning it right before Dunbar arrives. That's not in the regular version.
1: Hmm. I couldn't remember because I, I haven't seen the movie in many years, so I couldn't even remember the story. I just remember some a couple of skeletal outlines here and there. Well, you know, and um, this the scene
0: where he, you know his time with Timmons is mm-hmm. interesting because it's done a little bit for humor. Like Timmons is supposed to be so foul and awful, but <laughs> Timmons also his trip with Timmins provides a lot of information, you know, like it conveys the extreme different, sorry, the extreme distance from right. Fort Hayes to Fort Sedgwick. Um, the lack it's not a, of, it's
1: not a jaunt, you know, it's, it's, it's not a jaunt, like, the lack like of,
0: the lack of other wagons going back and forth, the danger of the Indians. They find the, they find the dead body of the woman. Um, and, you know, I mean Timmins is supposed to be foolish, if not stupid. Like those are two different things. You know what I'm saying? hmm Um and the Timmins character, you know, there's a great switch where when he lights the fire, like when he's cleaning up he's cleaning up the camp and he burns all the dead animal carcasses that he finds, and he realizes that the smoke will draw attention to him in a negative way. And you think that the Pawnee are looking at his column of smoke, but it's actually Timmins cooking mm-hmm. his food and during the day. So it's sort of like we were talking about the switch at the end of Silence of the Lambs where you think Clarice is knocking on one door and she's knocking on another. This was sort of similar where you think the Pawnee are attacking him, but they're going after Timmins.
1: Plus that was Buffalo Bill and there are a lot of buffalo <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> I never thought of that. A lot of it's buffalo genius. It's like six but, you know, degrees of this, separation from Buffalo. But
0: one other the thing I want to say about Timmons is they redeem Timmons in his death scene. Um, you know, cause he's portrayed in this terrible sort of like covered in grease and filth and grime and farting, you yeah. know, uh, and the scene where he's killed is incredibly brutal. You know, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's shot with like five or six arrows by mm-hmm. the same guy, by the way, who they all killed during the attack on the village later in the movie. Um, but you know his dying words are, you know, he's worried about his
1: animals. Right. Take you know, so they they
0: just humanize him a little tiny bit right before, you know, he's scalped. Like I thought that was really clever because you're supposed to sort of despise him and curl your curl your upper lip at him and then at the last moment you realize, oh, he you know, there was something
1: there. Yeah.
0: Uh, did you notice, by the way, that some of the officers and soldiers that he sees when he first gets to Fort Hayes are at Fort Cedric in the end of the movie? You see a lot of the same actors again.
1: No, I did not even. Well, there then, were about six days in between, so I <laughs> who remembers.
0: Um, so, unusual cast for this one. I mean, also, I think uh, Mary McDonald's high watermark and then a lot of Native American break-out. actors. Right. Yeah, I mean. I mean, During she Grand was not Grand. young when she when she had her breakout in this movie. She's like, I mean, I think she was close to forty when she had uh, her big moment
1: here. Yeah, she was like thirty eight or something when the movie came out.
0: And you know, I like the way that um, they make her look a little rough. Like her hair is never combed. Like she looks like you know, she looks like she's living out you know on the prairie in South Dakota. Like she doesn't look. You know, this is not Marimani right, in Star Trek, like, who has perfectly combed hair and looks like she's just walked out of makeup, like, like her hair is always messy, she has dirt on her face and a bunch yeah, of the scenes.
1: Yeah, but to their credit, I mean, they shot, the whole Miramani thing was shot indoors. This, at least they had <laughs> wind in this. I mean, they shot this like, at least outdoors in, in South Dakota.
0: Miramani! Miramani! I am Kirok!
1: <laughs> right. Um, Turn on the fan. More fans.
0: Um... And, you know, it's, it's, um, and again, I guess before we get too far, I mean, I guess you have to acknowledge that it is a huge deal that they did so much of the movie in Lakota. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean?
1: No, but, but I mean, it, it lends it
0: this air of authenticity that you don't see in other movies. I mean, you know, could, all these
1: Native American actors speaking Lakota. But how could they resist? I mean, Americans love subtitles. So they were just what? giving in to popular demand
0: it's true and i actually love subtitles but again uh i mean you know they all had to learn and apparently most of the native american actors didn't speak lakota the woman who by the way plays 10 Bears' wife Mm -hmm. she was the voice coach she taught everybody lakota so they gave her a tiny little part
1: interesting
0: um and then you know a lot of native american actors some of whom you've seen before some of who you haven't you know what i mean
1: mm-hmm. well Glenn like, green this was a big breakthrough for him i mean he was doing lots of commercials and movies after this
0: he was but a lot of them he never saw again and like for example rodney grant who played wind in his hair has a huge part in this movie i don't think i ever saw him again and then um uh, uh, tantu cardinal who plays wind in his hair's wife i've only seen her in one of the movies she was in smoke signals which i saw
1: kicking bird or whatever
0: yeah right sorry yeah kicking birds wife, but i never saw her you know after that just one other movie um so you know i mean props to costner for you know for not just sort of casting whites in this movie and putting a little makeup on them Mm. um and you know i mean this is i think a movie that a lot of Like, a lot of movies that play on emotions are sort of more geared towards women, whereas this is a movie that plays on emotions that's more geared towards men. And I think a lot of the movie is about John Dunbar's loneliness. You know what I'm saying? And how, like, his loneliness is cured, essentially, by his time with the Sioux. Yeah, he finds a place in the world. Right, which he didn't have before. You know, and then the way, for example, you know, when you see it, you have no idea that Dances with Wolves is his name. You know, the first time you see it, you don't realize that that's actually his name. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the name is a sign of his acceptance by the Sioux. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I, I'm telling you, like, this is a movie that I think a lot of males are drawn to because it's, it's, about, you know, it's about things that men can't really talk about in a lot of contexts. And movies don't really focus on sort of loneliness and alienation and how he you know finds friends and he finds a woman who understands him you know what i'm saying i think that's a big part of the appeal of this to a lot of men Mm -hmm. i mean we're getting a little bit ahead of myself but um you know we always do like best scene best line best shot but i think from my point of view the best line in the whole movie is the last line in the movie when wind in his hair says you know do you see that i'll always be your friend Mm -hmm. you know and then this was the guy who was the most opposed to him
1: all along and he's screaming and it echoes when he sort of screams to intimidate him at the beginning of the movie when he first meets him
0: right do you see that i'm not afraid of you right um but you know like he really comes as far as he possibly can like like his journey is is a profound one
1: (laughs) right and the you know the the movie it's it's fairly even-handed, trying not to be super sappy, but in some ways, you know, the the Lakota accept him completely, whereas you know the the whites never really can accept anyone else.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it's not it's not perfect.
1: I mean, I think yeah. that the the
0: whites are portrayed as like a little cartoony. You know what I mean? Like right. they're the, pretty the, evil. The, and and I mean, he I mean, when he returns to the fort. And he sees them like you know, he speaks perfect English, he he talks to them like an officer, like like it's a little hard to believe that nobody would believe him. Like he's treated in such an extreme manner. Right. Um that's a little tough and, and like, you know, Spivey is basically worse than Timmins. Right. Um, you know. And the Lakota are to some extent portrayed maybe a little too angelic yeah i mean he's
1: sort of repelled by how how ferocious and brutal they are in some ways but you know on the other hand uh, you know there's a there's a a lot of moments where they're much sort of more magnanimous even-handed and accepting of outsiders
0: yes and no though i mean it takes some time like i think you know i think that uh, wind in his hair is meant to represent a lot of sort of like anti-white sentiment right um, like with the scenes where they have the sort of like you know whatever uh, I don't know high level meetings among the Lakota you know each of them says a different point of view and you know to the movie's credit it shows you know intertribal warfare among the Native Americans um, it shows that they murdered that you know that her that um, stands with a fist was murdered her family sorry, her family was murdered and she was taken and then treated poorly for yeah. a prot- protracted period of time like like there is some balance to it I think that they honestly they could have portrayed the whites a little a little bit more fairly but whatever yeah. um, they, they come off as a little cartoony right um, you know in the when they find I'm just thinking about the way that the Lakota portrayed when they find those skinned buffalo right Mm. before the buffalo hunt scene. Is there an implication that they killed the people who did that
1: later there? Well, later there is because (coughs) he sees the pelts from the buffalo on the on a cart and they're having like a big dance or whatever with the right the night before the hunt. I think it was after. No, I'm pretty
0: sure it's before. Because after the hunt, he celebrates with them. Remember, he's eating all the buffalo meat.
1: Oh, right. Before the hunt, but after they'd seen the cadavers, like the buffalo right, cadavers. Right, right. But
0: there's an implication that they killed no, the people it is because that.
1: The, and he, he says something, like in the voiceover, while he's standing yeah. apart from but them. But you he don't says,
0: see him actually kill those. You don't see them actually kill those people.
1: No, but they're sort of dangling like there's a hand in one quick shot. And there's a few things like they're dangling artifacts. And a, there's a scalp.
0: Um, yeah, you know it was that went by kind of quick, and I was like, hmm, "What just happened there?" And that whole bit of them killing the whites is not in the regular version. They hmm. just see the dead buffalo, and then the night before the hunt, he sleeps alone because he's ashamed.
1: And wow, um, so that that was actually better in the longer version because it's he. I mean, the most interesting storyline in some ways in the movie is how he doesn't he feels like he doesn't fit in either world, right I mean that that's a, to me that's sort of the a very the most interesting point in some ways and there there's only a little bit of there's only a couple scenes where he he he's disgusted by the sort of small mindedness, the tribal nature of this of the Lakota and you know that they're basically they exalt in killing just as much as their enemies exalt in killing them.
0: Well, and, and, and that's and, all they and,
1: have.
0: Well, and they're also, there are, you know, people who make war just like the civil war, you know, I mean, he, yeah. he, he leaves, he leaves the East, uh, you know, to escape war and he finds a different kind of war. Although, you know, he makes the point after the Pawnee attack that, you know, this was done just to, to save their political. lives or their wives and their kids who are right there.
1: Right. There's no political. So he said, you know, like he was horrified, but this was about the purest uh, motive you could have to fight is, is, is preservation of yourself and your family.
0: And I, and it's really, you know, it's his, um, his actions during and around the Pawnee attack that really cement him to the tribe. You know, like he wants to go fight the Pawnee. He's kind of told no. Uh, and then they sort of give him, like, as a consolation prize, like, well, you stay here and watch everybody. And it's implied that, you know, the, the Lakota men are like, nothing's going to happen. So we're going to give you this sort of, like, little sort of, like, honor to appease you and shut you up so we can go do what's really important to us and then when they return and they realize that he was instrumental in saving everybody after that he is really fully accepted
1: right because in actuality they, the, the dudes didn't go after the pony they like went off to like the casino or something they just like, <laughs> like they went casino. off to a whorehouse and like <laughs> they, you know like meanwhile the giant sioux war party just went and invaded the village so that's what really happened it's a great bit, though, when um, when the, the
0: the Sioux War Party comes back, you know, empty-handed, and, like, the, the rider rides out to greet them and tells them the story. You can imagine, like, their reaction. Huh. Huh, no shit. Yeah, like, they we missed like, it all.
1: They were like, oh, snap. <laughs> and by the way, I also lost all our retirement money at the <laughs> casino. I <laughs> <laughs> get some more bad news. Um... <laughs>
0: I really like, and I think that it's good that they did this. The three boys, right, who are kind of throughout the movie. You know, one is Otter, one is um, smiles a lot, and the third one I don't know if he ever gets a name. Um, he might Scratches be worm his crotch.
1: Oh yeah, maybe it's but, worm. Yeah,
0: but I love the way like you kind of see the events through his eyes, through through the adult's eyes, but you also see it through the kid's eyes a little bit. You know, right? And like like the scene where. They try to steal his horse, and it doesn't go well. You know, right. like it's—it's it, 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 very easy to sort of portray all of the Sioux as, you know, wonderful in every possible way. And that was a good bit to kind of give them dimension and sort of like humanism. You know, like the kids try to steal the horse and they screw it up, and then they sort of, you know, form this circular firing squad of blame. You know, when the when the mission has totally failed.
1: Right. You know, you can see the kids um, really want to go fight, and they're always, the adults are always chasing them off and telling them not to act like morons because they're basically (laughs) teenagers like everybody else. So that was a good bit. And you're right. They use them for sort of a point of view. Um, Occasionally they switch to the kids' point of view to watch, to have them um, recording events, you know, or sort of like in a story. Right. And these are,
0: it's also implied that. You know, these are the kids
1: who, you know,
0: this is the last generation right. of kids who will not be born before white rule is
1: imposed like this is the end. Right. The, the whole movie, you know, that this is the last minute. And I think, you know, the the Sioux really don't they have no understanding of that whatsoever and as a matter of fact you know there's a that good scene was that in the the shorter um with the, the non-
0: conquistador helmet the,
1: yeah was that in the other yeah one? That's, that's in, in the, the main... that's in the shorter version yeah i mean i mean that that's a sort of a cool way to um to justify their viewpoint and sort of make it seem like well maybe it's not so short-sighted in a way because it's it's easy to you know twenty twenty hindsight right. It's easy for us to sit here and look back and think like how could they not have known they were going to get you know end up um, you know sitting on oil rights like the Apache or uh, or just, just land you know screwed. just land and and there were you screwed, know not thousands of people
0: coming but hundreds of thousands ultimately millions.
1: Right. You know how could they know they had no chance. So you know he he says like look they've always come. There's, they've come, you know, during my great grandfather's time. The, you know, you know, hundred years ago, the conquistadors came and look how that worked out. And so people have come and gone, and that's just what's going to happen this time. But, but um, Dunbar knows that that this time the the west is the western expansion is happening, and right, and inevitable. and he holds back, like he knows that he has to be
0: very careful about that information.
1: Yeah, he realizes that they, it's partly I think he doesn't want to freak him out. It's partly that I think he just kind of understands that it's so, it, that you, how are you going to explain that your cultural, your way of life is going to be eradicated? Possibly you will be eradicated.
0: Well, and he's also, it's a little, he's a little self-serving in that, you know, like, I think he doesn't want to ruin a good thing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like if he yeah. tells him the truth, it might sour everything. So he's, he's a little selfish there too.
1: Right. He's trying to um,
0: be <laughs> Why are you not married? <laughs> um, I think I like, just before we get too far from the the, the trio of teenagers, I think wind in his hair – sorry, Smiles-A-Lot's best moment is when, you know, right before the Pawnee attack when, when Ten Bears says to him, you know, take one good man and get the rifles." And, his, you know, I will take smiles a lot. And it's sort of like he finally gets a little adult acknowledgement. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's separated from the other boys. He's clearly the oldest. And he gets to perform like a vitally important function. Like you can see his whole face light up. And then when they have to dig out the rifles in the rain, you know, there's a sense of like true camaraderie between him and smiles a lot. Right. I wonder what happened to smiles a lot. The actor is called Nathan Lee chasing his horse.
1: And that's a pretty good name right there.
0: Yeah. It looks like he made a few other movies where he played native American characters, but that's it. Um, interesting. <clears throat> um, so, you want to say some things about, I don't know, his relationship with stands with a fist.
1: Yes. Yeah, um, so you know, stands with a fist. I remember. Uh, I'll tell you an anecdote. I remember watching this movie. I think on tape, video, or something with my dad. My dad uh, just started, basically calling. Uh, he he started calling her "fucks with gusto," like as if that's her. <laughs> he changed her Indian name, <laughs> just like on the spot. He's your like dad. man He's like, "What's your name again?" "Fucks with gusto," and I remember thinking, like, that was pretty funny. <laughs> when
0: i first came to the people they were mean to me
1: <laughs> well i don't know i mean I, I i liked. i mean did he this was his first thing he directed right costner i don't
0: know if this is his first thing that he directed if it is it's even more impressive that he won best picture for it
1: yeah he won best picture i mean you know it's a pretty good looking dean summer was the uh, dp um you know, and he's he's done a bunch of stuff in the seventies. Like he's he's worked for decades. It looks like done a lot of pretty, you know, a whole bunch of movies. Um, as, Here, let me see. I'm DP. looking
0: to see. Yeah, this was his first directing. You know, he's only directed three movies. This, The Postman, and Open Range. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Actually, I like all three of those movies.
1: So you know, he had a he had a pretty pretty solid uh, veteran um, veteran DP. Um, by the way, right, he, this he was he was the uh, cinematographer. He's Australian, and he was a cinematographer for Mad Max Two, The Road uh, Warrior. Interestingly,
0: yeah. which so, is yeah, also sort of taking place in a, a wide open area.
1: So you know, it's um, a good looking movie. So he helped that. You know, they had beautiful countryside, and it you know they did a sort of a nice job of making it look nice. The Lakota maybe they look a little too sparkly sometimes, but. Um, they give you the sense of what the, camp, the encampment's like. You get sort of a good sense of place, you know, from from it. So it, it's it's well made. Um, so,
0: it, and and you know, it looks great. I mean, yeah. There's there's not a there's not a scene in this movie that doesn't look good. There's only one or two scenes that look like they're filmed on a studio mm-hmm. lot, but most of it looks pretty impressive. I will tell you that when we lived in Minnesota. We took a, a a South Dakota vacation, which if you've never done, you really need to do. I think it was the best trip we ever took. I mean, it, it really is just like this. I mean, it's so big and it's so wide open. And a lot of this is sort of filmed in western South Dakota, out near sort of like the Black Hills and the Badlands. And there's a little bit of central South Dakota in this. Uh, but I mean, it really is perhaps arguably the most beautiful place in America.
1: Hmm.
0: Like, And it looks just like this. And there's a lot of you know there's a lot of i thought that there was a lot of bits where you know they're using the prairie as sort of an ocean you know like Mm -hmm. like wagons disappear over hills like ships over the horizon like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like analogy to to sort of the ocean here
1: there's a lot of open space and there's a lot of chance to be surprised by an enemy
0: right right and and you know there's a lot to see you know there's a lot to take in all at once around you um and the the score plays up the visuals that's John Barry did the score, who I guess is mostly known for uh james Bond music hmm. um but um I guess apparently he did the james Bond theme do 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 doo do do that was him I guess
1: he did something else that we've also he we did, were talking about he did a lot of
0: stuff. Um, but but the score really plays up the bigness of it. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a very very big full score. I actually bought the soundtrack to this movie uh, in the '90s.
1: <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a big western style um, score, and uh, you know that's it's good. It's good for the. Uh, for this picture. I don't know,
0: it's, it doesn't feel like a western score. It's funny. I wouldn't have thought of it as a western you don't think score. it's so. the big It's sort of like maybe you know, like horns. a front. I don't know. I mean, I just funny. I, no, the I horns, wouldn't have thought of it that way. Know. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just wouldn't have thought about it that way. Um, but I just want to talk a little bit more about Mary McDonald before we get too far afield. I thought she, you know, she's really good. I mean, she's she's got a hard part, right? Because she has to make a journey that's at least as big as his hmm. Right. I mean, she's a widow. Right. And I mean, you know, the first time we see her, she's attempting suicide and she has to recover from that and then fall in love with him and then leave the tribe to be with him. Right. And, and she holds.
1: Hole. That's what he did. The black hole. Sorry. The score. <laughs> Oh Jesus! There you go. I knew it was something else we had talked about. Well, at least he recovered from that, that dog. That was only eleven years prior to this. It probably took him that long to recover. <laughs> I'm still recovering from the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I, I definitely haven't recovered.
0: Um, but I don't know. She, and you know, it's funny. She has sort of like a unique kind of beauty. Like she's an unusual looking woman. Like she's sort of like. Like there's something about the bones in her face that are very sort of like full yet appealing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's funny because I think most people now kind of remember her as Laura Rosalind, the president on the new uh reboot of Battlestar Galactica,
1: yeah, but, but I think this movie is still this movie kind of made it into the consciousness in some ways and it was her i don't know picture. i mean have you know, young
0: people have a lot of young people seen this movie now i mean this movie is uh almost 30 years old
1: i don't know dude i'm old i don't know that's what i'm
0: saying like i, I think no of, i think most people think of her as laura Roslin more than they think of her as damned with a fist
1: i think the young people are too busy like doing spice and going to raves
0: <laughs> vaping <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I have spice. no idea
0: and you're not referring to the geriatric spice melange i don't think uh
1: not in this case although they might actually have the same effect for all i know um how was i gonna say yeah uh,
0: i don't know she's good in this i don't know i really like she's her in good. this she,
1: she was a really experienced actress who'd done like tons of stage and stuff you know by the time this movie you know she had a long career by the time she was in this movie yeah. So yeah, she was, you know, she was, uh, she was a good choice. And she you know, when they, she has her brief nude scene, mm-hmm. um, it looks
0: like a real person. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it would look strange if somebody living on the prairie in 1864, you know, had like abs, like she'd just done P90X. Like when the, you know, when she's shown in her brief nude scene, like she looks like an actual human being, like it kind of, it grounds the movie. It's just a brief scene and it, it more is hinted at than actually showed, but it's a good bit. It's a good bit.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, you know, and sort of, I guess, I guess, you know, his, you know, his transition to Sue, right, is paralleled in other ways, right? The Sue kind of adjust to him and, and also uh, two socks, right? The wolf actually adjusts to him too, which is, I guess, the wolf is sort of, I guess, sort of like to represent, you know, acceptance on another level. Like the wolf does eventually eat from his hand. Yeah. Right, and, I, and,
1: and somehow you know the one of the most horrifying. I mean, the two most sort of depressing aspects of his return to the brutality of the army, and you know, Cisco
0: gets killed his horse and the wolf,
1: the horse and the wolf, and then generally the way they treat him when they just they see him from a little bit further away and they think he's he's a an Indian, right? The they engine. immediately fire him, fire <laughs> they, on him. They started tagging him, and then when they can't shoot him they beat him <laughs> you know like they just they're just incredibly brutal and um right and then they shoot as his, his wolf you know, right although hits,
0: they the, when they shoot the wolf later they have no idea that it's his wolf you know that's when he's in the cart no and they're, they're taking him back to fort hayes
1: they have no idea but they're just they're so nasty, you know, they're just like every, basically they, the movie portrays all whites as, as consuming and destroying every beautiful thing, (laughs) anything beautiful they come in contact with, they sully or kill. With, with the
0: exception of the long haired officer
1: right who's and he's killed. the
0: one by the way when Mori Chakin is demanding his crown and slams the door he's the officer who gets the door slammed in his face
1: oh is he he's a lieutenant yeah i didn't know that yeah was but he's dude.
0: he's kind of the only one who's portrayed as having a little bit of humanity
1: right he kind of watches dunbar and and wonders you know and so i i almost i was actually surprised he gets killed right away during the attack which I guess it's fair that they kill him because why would you know it'd be chintzy if he was spared. But I
0: and mean, yes. it's also supposed to show that the Indians are not they're not discriminating at this point. They're just killing everyone because they can't let anybody escape. Right. You know they they've got to get them all so that they can get dances with Wolves out clean.
1: Yeah. No. No. It was. You're right. Though he he's. The exception. And he's sort of fascinated. You can tell even though it's not they don't dwell on it, he's he's quite interested in Dunbar because you get the feeling he's not sure, but he sort of thinks that he's probably telling the truth. He suspects he may be telling the truth, whereas everybody else is highly suspicious of him the whole time.
0: Right. Um and it's actually, you know, if you think about it, it's the second time that John Dunbar is erased. You know, he's erased by the death of Timmins and the Maury Chakin character, and he's also erased second time because the people at the fort think that he was sent back to the people at fort cedric think he was sent back to fort hayes and they don't know what happens you know somewhere on route the entire party is killed and it's implied that they would only find that out much much later by the time that they can then escape to the winter camp and then flee yeah by the way i love when the soldiers are tracking them to the winter camp it's it's shown that they explicitly have native american guides
1: right Right, which is and, it, is also and it's
0: uh, it's unclear if they're Pawnee or another tribe, but uh, right. the idea that there are other Native Americans working with the the army against the Sioux is a really really interesting bit that adds, you know, not, there's no words spoken, but it adds a, a nice layer to that whole end scene.
1: Yeah, it's well done. You can see they're sort of hybrids. You know, they're the the modern the more modern modern native american you know they're, well, sort and of, they're
0: wearing some sort of western type clothing right
1: they're sort of halfway you know they're bridging the gap
0: right or they've ingratiated themselves enough with the soldiers somehow right um i think the 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 best scene at least in my opinion clearly and this the standout set piece it is the buffalo hunt
1: mm-hmm.
0: right i mean there's nothing that i can think of like that in film uh, short of this movie you know, like I mean, it reminded me in some ways, in terms of scale and scope of the the chariot race and Ben Hur. Like it must have been that difficult to pull off.
1: Yeah, they they captured the sense of a a true buff, enormous buffalo herd and the, the kind of danger and majesty of it.
0: Right, and the right and the speed. You know, right. and the I was going to say you took the word right out of my mouth. I was going to say the extreme danger of it.
1: Yeah. And it's really majestic, you know, I mean, like the swath, the buffalo leave in a countryside, you know.
0: Right. Or the idea of riding a horse sort of surrounded by charging buffalo.
1: Right. They basically have to, they have to basically go right into the charge in order to pick off some buffalo. Right. And
0: the implication, too, is they get one shot. Like they can only keep up with the herd for so long. They've got to get a few while they can because, you know, a few is enough. Right, you know, I mean, what does a buffalo weigh? 2,000 pounds. Yeah, right, they only need a few. But if you you, to, get, to,
1: you get a you get a better price if you go for the big one per pound.
0: <laughs> so when we were in Minnesota, uh, there's a lot of buffalo in Minnesota and the Dakotas. So like every gas station had buffalo jerky. we ate a lot of uh, Patanco when we were in Minnesota. <laughs> um, but now they're all on. These are all. Privately, like like, there's no buffalo wandering around. They're all on private land. They're all like privately held herds.
1: Yeah, because they uh, and they're not stampeding anymore. I don't think.
0: Well, and they can only. they I think they only kill a certain number a year. Like they have very very limited hunting of the buffalo and things like that. But uh, I don't know, like when we when we drove through South Dakota, I mean, you see a lot of buffalo um like behind you know there's fences along the highway and you can sort of see up to you know like large swaths of land but it was not an uncommon sight to see 50 or 100 buffalo wandering around It was pretty cool actually uh if you go by the way i don't know if it's still there anymore but when we were there in deadwood costner owns a restaurant and a bar and it's decorated with all the costumes from this movie i don't know if that restaurant is still there but i remember Mm. when we were there Like you could sort of walk around and pretty much see all the main costumes. I remember that when we had dinner there, we sat uh, at a table and right above us sort of on the wall was the wedding dress that uh, stands with a fist wears in this movie. Hmm. In a case, it was sort of like the planet Hollywood of South Dakota.
1: (laughs) It's spectacular. Um
0: And I guess the other big, big scene, I still think, I think the best scene is the buffalo hunt, but the other really, really big scene is the, is the Pawnee attack. Yeah. And I love the way that there is a feeling, you know, how quickly it goes from, you know, rifles to hand weapons to hand to hand combat, you know, like they are really in there fighting tooth and nail with these guys. You did, know, and that whole scene it? is done so well. The way that they, for example, the way that they sort of sneak in among the horses, they kill the dogs so the dogs don't sound alarm, mm-hmm. and then they sneak in among the horses and they get very, very close to the camp before, you know, uh, they break into the attack. It's a, it's a phenomenal scene, and you really feel
1: the threat of them. Yeah. Did you see? Um the last of the mohicans with daniel day lewis you know i saw it a long time
0: ago but it, it didn't make a huge impression on me not like this film did
1: the you know what it had though i think was... i'm
0: turned off by the daniel day lewis shtick
1: <laughs> well strangely enough he only has one good foot when he was doing that. no <laughs> um, um that's terrible yeah i know what do you want to do <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, last of the Mohicans. So the the there's a lot of uh, Indian fight scenes in it, like combat with a lot of tomahawk. There's a lot of, a lot of tomahawking going on, and it's very well done. That's something. Maybe we should
0: Maybe I should rewatch it. They,
1: they you can really, imagine the
0: director more tomahawk, more it's, tomahawk.
1: It's very. Uh, <laughs>
0: it's weird faster, that they named their intense. weapon after a cruise missile, but anyway.
1: <laughs> faster, more intense. you know know whose direction that is right right.
0: more tom hawk
1: that's the no the faster more tense that's the no that's lucas of course yeah oh
0: yeah of course that's lucas um that was uh, his only direction
1: i'm told exactly
0: Um, although ironically he was right (laughs)
1: probably well, I'm not sure. I think he just actually, he was going nuts and was just perseverating, and that's all he could say. He was just going faster, <laughs> more intense, faster, more intense, faster, more intense. He was actually intense.
0: talking to himself. You know, Harrison Ford right. just took it a stage direction. Right. He wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> he was just <laughs>
1: babbling. <laughs>
0: um but so there's there's a lot of uh tomahawk action in last of the mohicans
1: yeah they do it really it looks amazing sometimes and it's highly violent and fast I mean, yeah maybe we should do it because you know you, you're you a kid you got a plastic tomahawk and you think like man, well, it's a tomahawk you know how, how this isn't so scary and then i saw last of the mohicans and i was like "God, oh, those tomahawks are frightening
0: <laughs> well and, and then this too they like, give you a sense that both the arrows you know like the idea that the arrow could kill you fast and hit you hard mm-hmm. comes through very clearly and it's very similar to for example in um oh uh the dicaprio movie uh, where um he's left for dead in the frontier what was that called again the revenant yeah in the opening scene of the revenant like the arrow the arrow impacts during the native american attack or are very very frightening but and also the the war hammers like a lot of the native a lot of the indians in this movie are carrying war hammers oh, like yeah. sort of basically like a club um uh, which looks like it's made from bone a bone or a branch and the implication you know like one good hit with the war club and you're done for you know your
1: head is caved in yeah and there's a bunch of spears that get hurled as they're riding behind the horse bareback yeah know.
0: Well, That's but again, wild. you know,
1: it's a violent world. Like, it's a
0: violent world from top to bottom, and and you know, from from hunting the buffalo to to defending the the fort, to, yeah. or sorry, to defending the tribe. Like, it's a violent world from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I like the way. By the way, there's a great shot of that lead, um, the lead Pawnee. I, you know, he, he he I don't know if he gets a name in this, but you know, he's you see him at a couple of key like, times. Like he kills Timmons, and he has a big scene. But there's that great bit where he eats the egg. Right after they kill Timmons and they're sort of raiding
1: Timmons' yeah, yeah, supplies, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's it's just it's a sort of like West, wordless West scene study. of him eating West, the egg. Studio West West Study. He's been in um, a ton of. Uh, he's been in a ton of movies, actually. Huh, t- he plays toughest Pawnee yeah well this was one of <laughs> he his was the last of the mohicans by the way he's yes he, he has a big role in last of the last of the mohicans was only a couple of years later he has a big well then i
0: imagine last of the mohicans was greenlit based on the success of dances with
1: wolves no doubt no doubt but but well, maybe we
0: should do that for a podcast
1: yeah we, we probably yeah we could do that um and it was it was also a michael mann movie <laughs> oh was it really yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're sort of we're sort of orbiting around some similar themes here as we go, uh, but just that bit of him eating the egg sort of casually. You know, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that that's him who does it. And if it's not him, it's one of the other Pawnee. But just that shot is they're sort of like casually raiding Tim and stores. You know, as as they're sort of you know unhitching the horses from the wagon and taking what they need and moving on. Like it's a great little bit to sort of show that like violence and killing are not exceptional in this world like mm-hmm. this is just sort of how it goes this is the human equivalent of you know tooth and claw
1: mm-hmm. yeah we, should, we, um, could, uh, we could do it and compare yeah
0: and then and then uh, i'm i'm just going to mention the ending a little bit but it's not because I, i'm done but you know the, you you kind of know two things that have to happen you know like like there's this sort of like metaphorical and literal honeymoon period in the middle of the movie where he's fully accepted he gets along with everybody his interactions with the sewer smooth he marries stands with a fist but you know you know there's a piper to be paid and i remember the first time i saw this i thought that the soldiers were going to come upon them i didn't think that he was going to go back to the fort but i thought like eventually they would run into the soldiers or they would come to the to the uh -hmm. to the village and then so there's The movie takes a very downturn in terms of tone. And then even though he's rescued, it's very, very sad because now he knows that he's endangered all of them and he has to flee. And, you know, the ending of him and Mary McDonald fleeing together, you know, and it's sort of implied that the tribe is now even more afraid of the whites because Mm -hmm. they know that there's there's soldiers coming and soldiers looking for them. Right. So, it's, I mean, and that's a ballsy way to end it, you know. Like, they could have just ended it after he's rescued on a much higher note and sort of imply that everything was okay and he, he vanished into the Sioux Nation. But but the, the CODA scene where he rides away and the army fails to find the tribe in the winter camp puts a very different spin on the end, you know, followed by the on-screen text sort of talking about the demise of the the, the, the Indians.
1: Yeah, and I think... You know it's sort of costner's intention to you know he he wants to in this movie i think a lot of it his intention was besides making a sort of an epic that is nice to watch he wanted to look back at the interaction you know at the at people's obviously you know rehabilitate the the sue uh, to a certain extent and look wistfully upon you know what was lost and um Right. And then and they even sort
0: of talk in the little the little text at the end about the great horse culture of the plains is gone, you know, right. replaced by a different horse culture. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, in, um there's an episode of I'm not changing topics as much as it sounds like there's an episode of Cosmos uh, from 1980 with Carl Sagan, where they talk about like when two cultures meet, you know, as a general rule, the less technologically advanced culture loses or is in some way or form annihilated and this movie is essentially that concept sort of explored over four hours right uh when, I, when we were kids you had a good story about your dad i'll tell you a good story about my dad when when i was a you know a kid i was really interested in ufos of course because all children are interested in ufos and i was interested in seti i remember when i was like 10 i got some book out of the public library about like you know, SETI and and beaming messages to the stars. And my dad was like, Why would you do that? Why would you tell them we're here? That's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my and I at the time I was like, No, 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 that's a great idea. Now I'm like, Huh, he's probably right. <laughs> you know, like maybe we shouldn't like send messages, you know, to, to Proxima Centauri saying, Hey, come
1: here. Oh, hey, right. there's
0: lots of water and minerals and metal. Yeah. It's great.
1: Right. Come the gold, here. The gold record on Voyager. <laughs>
0: right, exactly.
1: Um
0: so, but anyway, that was my dad's take on uh, the meeting of two cultures. My dad did not want to meet an extraterrestrial, <laughs> although I very much wanted to. Uh,
1: <laughs> my
0: dad was too busy with uh, other citizens
1: of New York City to bother with extraterrestrials. Right. Some of them might have been extraterrestrials, <laughs> <laughs> or could have, or could have passed for extraterrestrials at least. Right. Um,
0: uh, but you know. There's a, there's a bit in that Cosmos episode, um, and I'm totally ruining this now, but there's a bit where they talk about sort of like there was like a rare encounter between like Western explorers in a large sea ship and, and like a Native American population that went well. But he talks about it as he basically says this was like the only time we can think of that it went well. <laughs> um, but, you know, you could imagine, you know, how easy it is to just exploit or take over the other the other populations land resources etc i mean you saw it all throughout the the western expansion of the europeans you know every single time like all up and down north and south america
1: right also most of the simpsons episodes where they show aliens they always are eating or (laughs) or destroying taking over the earth the aliens have um
0: uh they have star trek names what are the aliens called again
1: I can't remember. You mean the one with how to, how to cook four humans? How to cook for No, No, they're, they're humans. the two aliens... The ones with like big teeth and their drool. Right, exactly. The, the, the aliens... And a dome head. They
0: have Star Trek names. I can't remember... Um. Oh, sorry. They're Kang and Kodos. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew they had Star Trek names. I knew they were Kang. They're Kang and Kodos. I forgot about that. that By the way, reference. Kang is an arcane reference, but Kodos... Yeah. Kodos from conscience of the King is an even yeah. more arcane That's a reference to the Simpsons to make. Well done, Matt graining Well done.
1: <laughs> I wonder if that was during uh Conan O'Brien's time.
0: I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know. But you know, I mean we're getting way off topic now, but but the Simpsons I'm gonna say this, people may or may not disagree, but man the simpsons has not lost it like you can watch an episode from season one or an episode from season 20 and it's basically just as good like that (laughs) show holds
1: up i haven't seen it in a while but god they i mean when i used to watch it 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 was just i mean the first couple seasons weren't quite as good until they really settled on bart as the main character as opposed to well, no, no no until they settled on homer Right, right, Homer. That's what I mean. So right, because yeah, yeah, in the beginning
0: around. they thought it was the show was about Bart, right. but then they eventually re- realized Homer is Homer's the anchor. Right. By the way, we gotta get back to Dance of the Wolves, right, So I totally I mean. agree with
1: you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Like when they made the show about Homer, they entered a whole other realm.
1: Right. It didn't take take them too long, considering no. it was like it, considering the show was been like on like two for like two or 30 or three years, years. I
0: think, <laughs> yeah, really, by the way, talk about
1: the bit uh, the goose that lays the the bit the a the bit of a well so so this movie, so it ends on a on a wistful uh quite a wistful note, yeah I mean which is it was intentional, and it really does accomplish that, and I even think the final shot where they where they put the the, the screen crawl up or it's, that says you know this is the end of the last bit of culture right. In thirteen years they're all basically on reservations
0: right um, under white
1: rule and you know the last shot is almost that like jeremiah johnson-esque looking thing with the them picking their way along a trail you know a snow-covered bleak trail out in the wilderness you know just uh the, the couple and a pack horse you know um, right
0: and, and this by the way this movie owes a lot to jeremiah johnson it has a lot of similar themes of the white man wanting to live in the frontier and having to sort of fight with and make his peace with the native americans i mean that's that's a much less happy ending than this and this is not a happy ending but that that owes a lot like this movie owes a lot to jeremiah johnson which by the way we should do in another podcast sometime that which by the way was directed by um
1: sydney uh, pollock Pollock. yeah yeah and the other but this movie did not have a a theme song like jeremiah johnson jeremiah johnson Johnson. (laughs) <laughs> this is yeah, this it doesn't uh, have a theme song called "Dances with Wolves" <laughs> with like a guitar chord. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know? By the way, if, if "Dances with Wolves" owes a lot to Jeremiah Johnson, did you ever see "Into the West"? No. "Into the West" was a mini series uh, from 2005 that I remember watching uh, when it came out that uh, we really, really liked, and it was—I think it was done over like. A month or two months, and they would have like two-hour episodes, one a week, and it was really, really well done. And it was kind of like it was—it uh, was told. Uh, it was like the westward expansion told through both white and Native American eyes. It owes Funny, a I huge debt to to Dances with Wolves, and it, yeah. it covers a lot of the same themes. It's 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 pretty big and sprawling, and it's not nearly as sort of majestic as Dances with Wolves. But you know, it was good at the time.
1: Wonder if Costner was pissed when he saw it. He was like, "Hey, how come I can't do anything anymore? Look at the, you, you! You ripped me off!" By the, the way, Into the West—I just looked it
0: up—is five hundred and fifty-two minutes. Jeez, that's long. That's long. What was your so? So I've said my favorite scene is the buffalo hunt. I said my favorite line. Best shot? I don't know. There's a, there's. I, I guess there's so many good shots in this. I don't know if I can pick one. There's just so many great, great bits of the camera, and you know, and there's even a lot of the sort of slow scenes, of then just riding horses from the left side of the frame to the right side of the frame, or like a group of men on horseback turning into the camera from far away. Like all that works for me a lot. Like it plays at the romance of the the frontier. I don't. I don't know if, what. What's your best line, scene, shot?
1: I don't know because there's a lot of line scenes and shots, especially scenes and shots in a four-hour movie. Um, it doesn't. Ha- You're right. It doesn't have sort of a standout, um, standout shot. Um, the scene. I really do. I, I I really like the buffalo hunt. Also, I'm gonna pick something different just to pick something else. Um, I I like. I kind of like how um, depressing and miserable the scene is when he goes back and he gets immediately attacked by the the soldiers. Um, It's very jarring. It's very jarring because at that point you settled in um, out of exhaustion uh, (laughs) to to his life as one of the Lakota because you know it's been seven it's been about 5 days of watching at that point so you really just you know you've given up and you're watching and then then he gets back there and and they they it's very jarring so that, yeah. that that works well it's such a contrast And they
0: show Cisco bleeding out
1: Yep I mean the whole thing is and they just basically everything that he cares about they just attack immediately Yeah and kill you know one great scene that i just
0: want to comment on that i really like and it's a small scene but it's a it's a it's another sort of notch in his acceptance the scene where the lakota warrior takes his hat yeah and he's like hey that's my hat that's my hat and you know uh wind in his hair comes to his defense yeah you know and it's kind of you know it it marks a change in his relationship with wind in his hair like it's one thing for wind in his hair to sort of you know get along with him and you know trade objects with him but in front of other Lakota you know he defends him and he's you know he says look if you're not going to give him back his hat you got to give him something for it and he you know, it's like, it's kind of his 10 bears moment. Like he's the wise one in that scene and he sees the way out of the dilemma when they're about to come
1: to blows. Yeah. I think he, I think it also shows that wind in his hair is fair. You know, maybe he's, he's a little bit short tempered. Um, right. And he says as much, I am always,
0: you know, quick to anger. Right. He does. Yeah. And, no, that's a good way to put it, that he's fair.
1: But he's also and he's also finger.
0: and he's also learning like it's implied yeah. that he's learning from 10 bears like that. like I think 10 bears best line in the movie is, you know, like, why would a great man like 10 bears go to talk to this one white man? And 10 bears goes, I will not go. You will go, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's a great moment for the for 10 bears and wind in his hair. And, he, you know, like it's implied that, like, you know, he, he, he's 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 getting it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. he can change. I like very much too, like the, the scene before the wedding where he says to, to dance with wolves, you know, like, you know, you know, her old husband was my best friend and I, this was hard for me to like you, you know, like that's a big admission on his part.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is he makes, you know, all of the Lakota are real characters who are sort of reasonably developed, you know, and they're, they're, they feel sort of real. They have different personalities and they have a certain point of view and it's well done. Yeah.
0: I think, I mean, I think this is a this is a, I mean, I don't say this about a lot of movies. I mean, this is a hard 10. Like this is, I think, you know, it's, it's clearly Costner's best film. Um, I, I, like I said earlier, it's just high watermark. And I think too, you know, I can't remember a movie about native Americans this good. You know, like, like there's, yeah. like, it's the most full and sort of, like, three-dimensional portrayal of people.
1: hmm
0: You know, and there's lots of, you know, they take, I mean, granted, we watched the four-hour version, but there's a lot of little bits that are put in just to give people dimension. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, like, again, like, Kicking Bird's wife has a small part, but she's always there to make a point. Right. You know, or illustrate something about the way that they talk amongst themselves and their culture. I don't know. I mean, we've got a bunch of podcasts. I'm not going to give a lot of hard tens, but I think this is kind of a hard 10.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I, it's better than I remembered significantly (laughs) because I, (laughs) I guess I, I didn't, uh, did you see in the theater or just on TV? I can't remember. I really don't. Uh, yeah, I, I can't remember if I saw it in the theater or not.
0: Um, you know, yeah. When when I am telling you, like somehow this got by me when when this came out. And this is the kind of thing I would have liked to have seen, but uh, I'm telling you, like I said earlier, like I i had never seen it, and I caught a few minutes of it on TV, and I just I had to stop it. It was obviously so good. I was like, oh my god, I can't I can't watch this pan and scan on television with commercials the first time. <laughs> so I I watched five minutes, stopped, and went out and bought it. Hmm. Uh, any, any, anything you want to say before we wrap up? I think we pretty much covered it.
1: No, I think we covered it.
0: A great one, you know. Um, you could see, by the way, that Costner was looking for epic after this. You know, like he never kind of recaptured this kind of epic thing again. And he tried a little bit in the Postman. Uh, he, he tried a little bit, and even in Waterworld for something epic, um, but he never kind of never kind of did it again.
1: Yeah, I think he got uh he got addicted.
0: Well, and you know, and again, you, you can't really fault him for for trying to do something, you know, like all the success he had with this. You hmm. know, he wanted to sort of have that success again. Um and he and you know, but on the other hand, you know, how do you catch lightning in a bottle like this twice, you know? right um did you ever see by the way uh, just as we wrap up did you ever see open range his uh the other one of the other three movies one of the other movies he directed did you ever see open range i did not it by the way that's another one we should do that's a really that movie is very heavily influenced by unforgiven like it's clearly in the unforgiven mode of the sort of like modern hyper-realistic western but that's a very good movie and the shootout at the end of that is about a 20 minute sequence and it's it's one of the best sort of like old west shootouts i've ever seen
1: hmm.
0: and it's done in a way that's sort of hyper realistic where you know like there's a lot of panic and chaos and confusion and they're fumbling to reload it's very well done right so i guess so that means we should consider last of the mohicans and we should consider open range among others right we should by the way not consider water world <laughs> yeah but, you know, I will tell you, now Now I'm really going to go off the rails. Waterworld has one great scene. And, unfortunately, it's the first scene.
1: <laughs> Isn't that like um, an attack or something?
0: Well, it's even before that. And it, I believe Waterworld is a universal picture. And the, you know, like the opening of the movie is the universal logo where the, the word spins around the earth. Yeah. And then the water rises and the land all disappears. Like, the ice caps melt, the water rises, and the land disappears. And I remember when I was in the theater seeing that, I'm embarrassed to say, but I saw Waterworld in the theater. When I saw that, I was like, what a great idea! (laughs) Last great idea in the movie. Like, literally, like, once the movie starts and the Universal logo disappears, it is a rapid and steep decline. But that is a great, great bit. I bet that's on YouTube, by the way. But that's a great bit.
1: Everything's on YouTube.
0: Yeah. Um, but hey, I'm gonna just really quick on hype. Waterworld World um, Waterworld uh Universal logo. Yeah, it's there. It's there. I'm telling you, it's worth 10 seconds of looking at. It. It's the it's the best bit in the whole movie. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Alright, thanks everyone.